Hey, good morning, church. Thank you for joining us in person and on the live stream. My name is Dan, and I get to serve as the Director of Communications here at Redemption. We're so glad that you could join us today for Worship in the Word. I was lost, but now I'm found. You might think that I'm talking about me or you, but I'm actually talking about all this stuff here on the Lost and Found table. This is the last weekend to pick up your items. Any remaining items will be donated after August 31st. Everything will remain out on the table during the week if you would rather come in Monday to Friday, 8 a.m. to 4 p.m. Do you have any winter jackets that you're not using anymore? Well, Pastor Hernando and our market team are collecting jackets that will be donated to those in need. For more information about that, you can contact Pastor Hernando at the email address here. And just a reminder that market donations can be dropped off on Sundays or Monday to Friday, 8 a.m. to 4 p.m. We are excited about our upcoming baptism services happening here on September 13th and the 20th. If you'd like to come and support a friend or a family member who's being baptized, remember to head to our website and register to attend that service. Services fill up pretty quick as they approach, so please don't wait till the last minute. Head to our website, rbclondon.ca, to save your seat. Now, due to the health unit strongly discouraging congregational singing, we would ask you that during our worship times to please listen to the words, hum along, or sing softly to respect those around you in light of the whole COVID situation. Thank you, and God bless. Good morning, everybody. It is good to be together. Um, I just invite you all to stand. We're going to uh, really just make an offering to our Lord this morning. You're the God of this city, you're the King of these people, you're the Lord of creation, yes you are, and you're the light in the darkness, you're the hope to the hopeless, you're the peace to the restless.
You're the God of this city, and you are the King of these people, Father. You are the Lord of this nation. You are the light in the darkness. You're the hope to the hopeless and the peace to the restless. Father, let those words wash over our hearts and our minds, Father. When chaos abounds, Father, we are restless, but you are good. We're here for you this morning. Every heart, every circumstance. Yes, I believe that you are my fortress, that you are my portion, that you are my hiding place. Oh, I believe you are the way, the truth, the life. Stay long when I'm here with you. The way 
and amen, right? And he's the way, the truth, and the life. The stone was for good, for the Lamb had conquered death. And the dead rose from their tombs, and the angels stood in awe for the souls of all who come to the Father of the In the church of Christ was born, and the Spirit lit the flame. Now the gospel truth of old shall not fear, shall not faint. By his blood and in his name, in his freedom I am free. For the love of Jesus Christ, who has resurrected me.
is our King, here is our love, here is our God who's come to bring us back to Him. As he is the one, He is Jesus. He is our King, He is our love, He is our God who's come to bring us back to Him. As he is the one, He is Jesus. He is our King, He is our love, He is our God who's come to bring us back to Him. He is the one, He is Jesus. He is our King, He is our love, and He is our God who's come to bring us back to Him. He is the one, He is Jesus. Jesus, he is Jesus, he is Jesus. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your presence, Father. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. You dwell within us, Father. Be with us this morning as we hear from your word, Father. Might you change us, penetrate our hearts, shake the calluses from us, the dust from our souls, Father. 
Let your spirit move in a powerful way. We pray this in the precious name of our Lord, our Savior, the King of Kings, Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. Good morning, Redemption Bible Chapel. Those of you who are here and uh, those who are at home watching online, uh, it's great to see everyone. Let's continue to worship together by taking God's Word and turning to Paul's epistle to the Galatians. Paul's epistle to the Galatians. You don't need me to tell you this, but I'm going to say it anyway. This is the last Sunday in August, September 1st on Tuesday, right? You know what that means. Labor Day is just around the corner, and you know what that means. Back to school is just around the corner. That's a hot topic of conversation in my house because I have two teachers in the home and a little one going into grade five. So uh, I'm sure it's on a lot of minds today. It's on my mind as well because uh, we're facing a very interesting semester at Heritage uh, College and Seminary. Uh, we've been online since March, and things are going to be a little different. I, I guess this semester is going to be unlike any semester the school has known in its history. The, the seminary staying online... So all of our seminary students, all of their courses will either be a live feed or pre-recorded audio, video lectures. So they're going to be all over the province, across the country, even a couple down in the States, uh, studying away. The college is going to be on campus, at least most of the students. Most of our college courses will be offered live, person-to-person, uh, -person, with all of that social distancing stuff and everything else that goes along with it. But those courses will also have a live feed option for those students who aren't necessarily comfortable coming back or maybe have health concerns or health concerns in the home for one reason or another. They don't want to be on campus, so there's a live feed option for them. All that to say, we're juggling a lot of balls at the moment. And at the best of times, getting a semester going is a huge undertaking, getting this semester off the ground with all of these challenges, it's a huge undertaking. So we certainly do appreciate your prayers for Heritage College and Seminary. It's not going to be ideal, right? It's not going to be what semesters have been in the past. But having said that, I have every confidence the Lord will use it. Uh, use it in... Uh, the lives of our college students, many of them straight out of high school, many of them coming back for a second or third year, that it will use them to continue to grow them in the faith and prepare them for life and ministry. And I have every confidence that for our seminary students, it will be a positive learning experience as well. But be praying for us as we navigate this whole thing and praying for our students as undoubtedly they'll be going through a little adjustment period as they get used to the new normal for this semester anyway. And be praying that the Lord continues to use the school uh, for the furtherance of his kingdom. Like we, we like to say, from coast to coast to coast and, and around the world. Have you found the book of Galatians? Are you there? You need the fourth chapter. And let me ease into it by uh, taking you back in time. Uh, we're almost into September, so September 2020. So it was nine years ago, so September 2011, Allison, my wife, Laura, our oldest, she was 11, 12 years of age at the time, and I, we were in the city of Nanchang in China, and we had flown with eight other families from across Canada, flown direct from 
Pearson to Beijing, and then Beijing to the city of Nanchang, and we really hadn't slept in about 48 hours, and we had just enough time to check into our hotel room, purchase some baby formula, and then these nine families, we were ushered into this conference room on the fourth floor, and I get choked up even thinking about it now. There were these nine babies in these pink sleepers, all of them eight, nine, ten months of age, and um, some of them screaming, some of them crying, some of them sleeping, some of them just staring, and uh, we knew exactly who we were looking for because we had received her picture about two months beforehand. Tong Min Chung was her name. Emma is her given name. And uh, there we were. We entered this room. Allison spotted her, not interested in the protocol. She couldn't have cared less. Straight for her, arms outstretched. And there she was, Emma. Emma Yule. And it was at that moment that God brought that precious little cargo into our lives. It was life transforming, as you can imagine. Um, altered our lives, has shaped our lives unbelievably. And one thing in particular, um, adopting that little girl has, has served to heighten our appreciation of the biblical doctrine of adoption. It has been said, I think it was J.I. Packer, J.I. Packer just went to be with the Lord just a few weeks ago. And I think it was J.I. Packer who said that the biblical doctrine of adoption is the climax of the Bible. That's quite the statement, isn't it? It is the climax of the Bible. And uh, I've become convinced of that over the years. And my goal today is pretty straightforward. I'm going to convince you of it that the biblical doctrine of adoption is the climax of the Bible, and I'm going to do so by unpacking for us Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. So follow along as I read this portion of God's Word. Galatians chapter 4, we're going to pick it up in the fourth verse and then cut it off in verse 7. Here it is. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Now, I like to do a mountain, little bit of mountain biking. When I say that, don't be thinking, you know, you know, those guys that you see on the video clips mountain biking. Nothing quite like that. My bike is a mountain bike. Maybe that's the way I should put it. I have a bike that classifies as a mountain bike. And I like to get out on the trails. And there is nothing like a well-worn, well-groomed trail. It's terrible when you get out there and the grass, the trail is overgrown with grass and weeds and rocks and stones strewn everywhere and branches hanging over the trail. It's the, it's the worst. What you want is a well-groomed trail, a well-worn path. It is exactly the same thing when it comes to our minds. What we want in our minds, in our brains, are well-groomed, well-worn paths. These paths are those sort of Areas of thinking, ways of thinking that become ingrained in us, they almost become second nature because we spent so much time 
going over this truth over and over and over again. We've rehearsed it so many times. We've meditated upon it. We've reflected on it. We've dissected it. We've applied it. We've heard it repeatedly. This idea of repetition, whereby the path becomes well-groomed, well-worn. It's a place that we often trod, we often go to. And in the Christian life, I'm convinced of this far eclipsing so much. What it is that we need of, of utmost importance are these well-groomed paths in our minds, these places we go to, almost default positions that occupy our thoughts. And I want to suggest to you that the biblical doctrine of adoption is one such path. This is a truth we need to mull over, think upon, meditate upon, frequently, consistently, consciously, diligently so that this path really takes shape in our minds and begins to influence us and dictate us. And so out of this passage, that's what I want, us, want to happen. I want to convince you that this is the climax of the Bible, and I want to impress this well-worn path upon your mind that it will serve us well as we go forward in life, that this is a truth that will really have taken root and will shape us and shape, influence every facet of life. And so to do that, as we unpack these verses, I want us to hone in on three central truths. All right? So they're going to help us pack down this trail in our minds, these three pivotal truths concerning the biblical doctrine of adoption. Here is truth number one. Adoption is purchased. By the sending of the Son. Adoption is purchased, bought, by the sending of the Son. It's what Paul tells us. Look again in verse 4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. Paul is incredible in his writing for a number of reasons. One is this. He has a tendency to pack so much into a single verse. And that's what we have here with these two verses. They are packed full of truth. And I, I want you to simply notice six details packed into verses 4 and 5. I could preach a sermon on each of these details. I'm not going to. We're just going to fly over at 40,000 feet, but I want you to get these six details as we come to terms with this precious truth that adoption is purchased by the Son. And so the first detail is this, right at the start of verse 4, but when the fullness of time had come, and so Paul is pointing us to the fact that what he is about to say is the culmination of God's plan. He is drawing our attention. He's trying to catch our attention and emphasize for us that what he is about to unfold, what he is about to communicate is the climax, the pinnacle of God's plan. You can go back into the Old Testament. You can go all the way back to the book of Genesis and you can hear God's promise to Eve regarding the seed of the woman, the offspring of the woman, that a redeemer is going to come, a savior is going to come. You can fast forward to Abraham and God's promise to Abraham concerning his seed, his offspring. Paul tells us in the epistle to the Galatians that it is singular. It's a promise concerning Christ. And then you can fast forward to David and God's promise to David concerning his seed, his offspring. You get those three promises. The promise concerning the seed of the woman. The promise concerning the seed of Abraham and the promise concerning the seed of David, you have the Old Testament. And you discover that the Old Testament is simply an age of preparation. It is an age of promise. It is pointing us forward. It is hurling us forward to the culmination, the pinnacle, the climax of God's plan of salvation, centering on this promised seed, this promised offspring, this promised individual, the Lord Jesus Christ. When the fullness of time had come, 
that moment, what had been, so to speak, on the mind of God in eternity, what happened? Second detail, God sent forth his son. It points to the essential deity of this individual, that he is eternally begotten of the Father. Notice the third detail, born of woman. It is the incarnation. It points to his humanity, that the Son of God, he who is the eternally begotten of the Father, he veiled his glory and majesty behind a garb of humanity, and he assumed to himself, took to himself human flesh, body, and soul. Notice the next detail, number four, born under the law. In other words, he came for a purpose, to live his life under the law. And you think of the law as it is summed up in the two greatest commandments. You are to love God with all your heart, soul, mind of strength. And you are to love your neighbor as yourself. The Lord Jesus Christ came. He was born under the law, obligated to fulfill the law. At the time of his baptism, when John the Baptist saw him coming, he objected. He didn't want to baptize the Lord Jesus. I have need to be baptized by you, and will you be baptized of me? And Christ's response, permit it now. Allow it now, because it is necessary for me to fulfill all righteousness. It is necessary for me to enter the waters of baptism to identify with sinful humanity. It is necessary for me to be baptized and identify with sinners and acknowledge that I have come to fulfill the law and I have come to go through the baptism of God's judgment, the waters of God's judgment upon Calvary's cross. And so he came to fulfill that obligation, not only fulfill the obligation but to pay the penalty for us having broken the law, which brings us to the fifth detail, to redeem, to rescue, to set free those who were under the law, those who were in bondage, those who were in bondage enslaved firstly to their sin and the power of their sin. And because they were enslaved to their sin, they were enslaved to the law and enslaved to its curse, judgment, death. And because they were enslaved to its curse, they were enslaved to the devil, the Satan himself, who is the executioner of the sentence of death. But this one, the Lord Jesus Christ, when the fullness of time had come, he lived under the law. He fulfilled the law, every obligation. He fulfilled, paid its curse, thereby redeeming those who were under the law. And what's the sixth and final detail? That yes, there is a negative aspect to his death upon Calvary's cross in that he pays the penalty. But there is also a positive component so that we might receive adoption as sons. See, we're very strong on the former. We get that. We are enslaved to sin. There is a penalty for sin. That curse, that penalty must be paid. Christ paid it on my behalf as my substitute, a penal substitutionary sacrifice, atonement. Yes, he bore the wrath of God. He satisfied the justice of God. I get it. It's actually only half of the gospel. The other half is this, not only did he by his blood pay the penalty for my sin, he purchased my inheritance. He bought it. He bought my inheritance by giving himself as a ransom for me that we might receive adoption as sons. Oh, Russell Moore, he has written in one of his, he has a book on adoption. He adopted two young boys from the Ukraine or Russia, I think it was. And he's written a book on the subject, and in it, he, he shares the following thoughts. Listen very carefully to this. Imagine for a moment that you're adopting a child. As you meet with the social worker, you're told that this 12-year-old has been in and out of psychotherapy since he was three. He persists in attempting to burn things and skin kittens alive. His father, grandfather, and great-grandfather had histories of violence ranging from spousal abuse to murder. Each ended his life the same way, suicide. Think for a minute. Would you want this child 
Well, my friend, this child is you. And he is me. That is what the gospel is telling us. Our birth father has fangs. And if left to ourselves, we will show ourselves to be just as serpentine as he is. But, one of the most glorious words in all of Scripture, but, but, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. A radical change in our legal status. A radical change in our familial status. The devil was our father. And now God himself, not because of anything in us, anything endearing, or appealing takes us to himself in and through the Lord Jesus Christ and claims us as his children, his sons, his heirs. Oh, friends, adoption. Adoption is purchased by the sending of the Son. Here's the second truth I want us to get from these verses. I hope that path in your mind is beginning to form and take shape. We're going to stomp on it a little bit to make sure it's a well-worn path. Here's the second truth. Adoption is applied. I was thinking about this on the way over in the car, and actually I think there's a better word. Adoption is sealed. That's the language Paul uses in Ephesians 1, verse 12, verse 13. Adoption is sealed. Applied is all right, but adoption is sealed by the sending of the Spirit and so that's what we see in verses 6 and 7. And because you are sons, notice again Paul's language. God has sent. So just go back to verse 4 for a moment. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. It is the incarnation. Now there's a second sending, equally important, equally significant. Because the spirit must apply what the son has purchased. Right? The Spirit must seal to us what the Son has bought by His precious blood. And so, and because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so you are no longer a slave but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Paul says something very similar in his epistle to the Romans, chapter 8, verse 17. Verse 15, he declares the following. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. And so think for a moment, think for a moment, Father, Son, and Spirit. And here we have our triune God, Father, Son, Spirit. You think of what Christ says in Matthew chapter 28. He sends us out. He commissions the disciples to baptize and to baptize in the name. It's not the names, the name. And what is God's name? It is Father, Son, and Spirit. Does that confuse you? I trust it confuses you. It ought to confuse you. Will you ever fully understand it? No, you will not fully understand it. I cannot fully understand it. We're supposed to fall down and worship. It is his name. Father, Son, Spirit. These, these, these terms, Father, Son, Spirit, describing the in internal relations within the Godhead. The Father who is eternally unbegotten. The Son who is the begotten eternally of the Father. And the Spirit who is spirated eternally of the Father. And there they are in their fellowship and communion of love. And in time, the Father sends the Son, and the Son purchases for us the right to become the sons of God, members of God's family. And then in time, Pentecost, 
God sends forth the Spirit, and we have the baptism with the Holy Spirit, whereby when we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, we are baptized by Christ with the Spirit into His body, and the Spirit applies to us, seals to us, all that Christ has purchased and done on our behalf, whereby it becomes ours in actuality. We become the children the sons of God, and as a result, we cry, what is it? Abba, Father. Oh, notice three things about this cry. The first is this. It indicates life. It indicates life. And so our oldest daughter, Laura, biological daughter, uh, when she was born, what was the first thing we wanted to hear? A cry. Why? Because the cry indicates, expresses life. When we come to life in the Spirit, the first thing we do is we, we cry. Abba, Father. Again, appealing to Russell Moore as he reflects on his adoption experience in Russia. He wrote the following of all the disturbing aspects of the orphanage. One stands out. So the orphanage where they adopted one of their sons, of all the disturbing aspects of the orphanage, one stands out. It was quiet. It was filled with an eerie silence, despite the fact that there were rooms full of cribs, full of babies. If you listened intently enough, you could hear the sound of gentle rocking as babies rocked themselves back and forth in their beds. They didn't cry because no one responded to their cries. That is dehumanizing in its horror. The first moment I knew our son had received us when, when we walked out of the room after visiting him, he fell back into his crib and cried. It was the first time I ever heard him do it, and it was because, for whatever reason, he seemed to now think he would be heard, and he no longer liked the prospect of being alone in the dark. My friends, that is where the Holy Spirit leads us in Christ. The cry indicates we've come to life. We were dead in our trespasses and sins, dead to God, dead to truth, dead to reality. In the fullness of time, God sent forth his son to do what was necessary to redeem us from the penalty of the law and to purchase for us the right to become the children of God, the sons of God. And in time, the Father sent forth his spirit. And when we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, come to the Father through Christ, the spirit enters in and he applies to us all that Christ has purchased for us. He seals it to us, whereby these things now become realities. This is our new reality. And we come to life. We're like a drowning man desperately there in the water who suddenly emerges from the water, gasping for air. And our cry is what? Abba, Father. It indicates we're alive. Oh, the second indication is this. This cry conveys desperation. The same term is used to describe the cry of the demoniac. What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of God, Most High? The same word is used to describe the cry of blind Bartimaeus. Jesus, Son of God, have mercy on me. The same word is used to describe Christ's cry from the cross. My God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? It is a cry of desperation because coming to life, what do we soon realize? We realize things are not as they should be. We realize we live in a fallen world. We realize we are the sons of God. We're heirs of the promise, but the promise is yet future. And here we are wayfaring and warfaring in a fallen world. 
And we recognize that, we acknowledge that, we feel the burden of our own sin. We feel the weight of living in a sinful world under the curse. We see death, we see destruction, and we see the effects and the consequences, some of them absolutely horrific, of sin all around us. And we cry, Abba, Father, enough already. It is a cry of desperation. And thirdly, it is a cry of confidence. Because we are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, by sharing the Spirit of His Son with us. The Father and the Son share their love with us. By the Spirit uniting us to Christ, the Son, the Father knows and loves us as His adopted Son. Oh, by the Spirit uniting us to Christ, the Son, we now know and love God as our Father. Oh, hear it, please. This is a cry of confidence. The Father loves us. The Son reveals the Father's love. And the Spirit assures us of the Father's love. That, my friends, is the second truth. Adoption is sealed, sealed to us by the sending of the Spirit. And here now is the third and final truth. Adoption is to the Father. That's there in this passage, verses 4, 5, 6, and 7. The Apostle Paul states it very clearly in his epistle to the Ephesians, chapter 1, verse 5. He writes the following, in love. He, God the Father, in love, He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace, with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. Now listen to that again and listen very carefully. In love. He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will. That word predestination is a stumbling stone for a lot of believers, unfortunately. It's a precious truth. It's a glorious truth. It's not destined. It is predestined pre-temporally. Pre-what? He tells us in the preceding verses that God chose us in Him, in Christ, when? Before the foundation of the world. In eternity, when all that is is the great I Am, this triune being, whose name is Father, Son, Spirit, He predetermined, predestined us to adoption as sons. Do you know what that means, brothers and sisters? It means this, adoption wasn't His second choice. Sadly, I've heard people talk like that. I've heard people talk like that on several occasions. Oh, you couldn't have biological children, so you settle for adoption. Having adopted a daughter, I would never express it like that, not in a million years. We haven't settled for anything. She is as precious to us as our biological child. She is as much a part of our family as our biological child. We care for her. We love her. We provide for her. She's taken our name. She will inherit all that we have, however little it might be, but it is all hers, right? She is our daughter. She is our child. God predestined us for this. It's not as though God created Adam and Eve. And then the fall took him by surprise. Oh no, what do I do now? Well, I guess I could always adopt. No, he predestined us for this. It is his eternal plan for the revelation of his sovereign grace, his glorious grace and mercy that we are not deserving of it. It has nothing to do with us. It is not contingent upon our merit, our performance, anything we have ever done, or anything we could ever do if given a million years. It rests upon sovereign grace and sovereign grace alone. Plan A, that this God has a purpose to glorify himself. Human history, it's a misnomer. It's actually not about man. 
Human history is about God. Human history is simply the stage upon which God has determined to display his glory forevermore. That's where we fit into this picture. It's not your story, friend. I'm sick and tired of hearing that. People talking about their story. It's not our story. It is God's story. And this determination on the part of he who is eternally Father, Son, and Spirit to magnify the glory of his grace, he predestined us to be adopted into his family as sons. And he receives us as children. And in Christ Jesus, because of what he has done, and by the sealing of the Holy Spirit, we cry, Abba, Father, and we enter into a relationship with God that is unique to all those who come to him in Christ by the Spirit. Oh, my friends, God. God is our Father. Our Father. He treats us as only sons. He knows our frame, declares the psalmist. And he remembers that we are but dust. And he treats us as a father. You know, I, I think we become so familiar with things that it truths that they do not strike us impact us as they are. They become too, too familiar, don't they? And they become too casual. Is it possible this is such a case? The fatherhood of God and what it means to be able to claim the living God as our Father. Oh, as adopted sons, we can be certain our Father loves us. Paul makes that clear in Romans chapter 8. Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can separate us from the love of God our Father in Christ Jesus our Lord. It took me a long, long, long time to get that. It took me years to get that. And I even hesitate to claim that I, I fully grasp it now. But something that really helped me on the way was, was a little phrase, a couple of sentences I, I read by R.C. Sproul a few, some years ago. He wrote the following. God does not love us because we are lovely. God does not love us because we are lovely. He loves us because Christ is lovely. He loves us in Christ. I need to watch, take a glance at my watch here. No, we're okay. You remember the story of David, right? After David, he ascends to the throne and um, he's looking for someone from the house of Saul to whom he can show some kindness, some good, and he lands on whom? Mephibosheth. There's nothing particularly appealing about Mephibosheth. He was lame and um, a sworn enemy belonging to the household of Saul, uh, of Saul. But David bestowed such kindness upon him, showed such generosity, and elevated Mephibosheth to such a peculiar status, wonderful status in the kingdom. And he says he did it all for the sake of, not Mephibosheth, he did it all for the sake of Jonathan. All for the sake of Jonathan. He loved Mephibosheth because of Jonathan. God the Father loves us because of Christ. Look for something lovable in you, you're never going to find it. Look upon the one who is altogether lovely, the Lord Jesus Christ. And understand that having been adopted into the family of God, you are one with Christ. And understand the loveliness of Christ is now the lens through which God sees you, sees us. And it is the reason he accepts us. And therefore, confidently, we can declare nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Oh, as adopted sons, we can trust our Father 
with the details of our lives. You remember the Lord Jesus' Sermon on the Mount? And he's trying to impress upon the disciples, his followers, what it means to live in dependence upon God, upon their heavenly Father. And perhaps this flock of sparrows, birds, flew overhead at that moment. I don't know. I like to imagine so. But the Lord Jesus declared, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? As adopted sons, we can trust our Father with the details of our lives. And as adopted sons, we can wait patiently for our Father's promised inheritance. Paul writes, if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. You know, in the Latin languages, French, Spanish, Portuguese, there is only one word that is translated hope and wait because they mean the same thing. We've differentiated them in the English language, but in actual fact, to hope is to, it's to wait, brothers and sisters. We're waiting, and it is to wait patiently, knowing that Christ has purchased our inheritance, knowing that the Spirit of God has sealed that inheritance to us, and we wait patiently knowing that our Father will indeed bestow upon us his promised inheritance in full. Adoption is purchased by the sending of the Son. Adoption is sealed by the sending of the Spirit. And adoption is to the Father. Well-worn path in your mind? I pray so. A well-groomed trail in your thoughts? I pray so. Precious truths that I trust we will return to repeatedly again and again over and over. Because, brothers and sisters, this is indeed the climax of the Bible. Behold what love, what boundless love the Father has bestowed on sinners lost that we should be now called the sons of God, our Heavenly Father. May you stir our hearts with these precious truths. May your word be implanted deep within this day. And may it cause us to abound in love and faith and hope. We pray this for the furtherance of your kingdom among us. We pray this for the furtherance of your glory and for your people's good. And we ask it in the wonderful name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. I invite you to stand with us again. Close. Jesus.
Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you, Father God. Thank you for being with us this Sunday. And I thank you all for joining us. Uh, please go in peace and uh, may the Lord be with you. Amen. <laughs>